In just a moment, Pastor Dan will come forward and share a preach from John chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 to 11 from John 12 this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Luke 9.51 reads, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Three years in, and Jesus is ready to face his greatest trial, the culmination of his mission. He's moving in a direction, moving towards the center of things, moving towards Jerusalem, moving toward the temple, moving toward the cross. Ultimately, moving toward you and me. A few years ago, a friend gave me a little flyer entitled Step Up to Life. The small flyer made the claim that everyone is on one of five steps, moving either closer to God or further away from him. The flyer made sense to me. The first step, a crowded step where many linger, is the step of unconcern. Unconcerned folks may know a great deal about Jesus or know very little. The point that determines whether they are on this step or not is whether or not they really care. The author reminds us, an unconcerned attitude will keep you from knowing Jesus, but it does not keep Jesus from knowing you. Amen. Even if you don't care, he does. The second step is the step of concern. Folks on this step are aware that there is more to life than just what you can touch or see. They know there is a spiritual dimension and would like to discover the truth about it. These folks are looking for answers, moving toward God, but haven't found the answers yet that make sense to them. Fortunately, God promises that everyone who seeks him with all their hearts will ultimately find him. The third step is the step of conviction or discomfort. People on this step have been touched by God's Spirit and awakened to the discrepancy between the way they are living and what God desires of them. 
They feel guilt for the things they continue to do wrong. They feel the pull of God's spirit to confess their wrongdoing and make things right. This is an uncomfortable place to be. And most folks will either choose to ignore the discomfort and plunge back the other direction away from God, or take the next step to deal with their internal irritation. The fourth step is repentance. Jesus told his, father, his followers that if anyone confesses their sins, he will forgive them for their sins. God is a forgiving God, and he desires to give his people a new start. That means we must turn away from our sins, from the things we are doing wrong, and ask for help to live a new way, a way that is pleasing to God. This is moving toward God. The final step is saving faith. This is the place where I have moved close enough to God to know that he does forgive me, and he has invited me to accompany him on this road of life. We are told in the book of Acts that if we believe in Christ and confess him, we will be saved. To believe in Jesus means to take his word seriously and to begin to ask for his help to remodel our lives. It means walking through life in the company of and under the direction of Jesus. This is what it really means to be Christian. And some of us are moving closer, closer to Jesus every day, and some of us are moving further away, further and further every day. And while it is an excellent exercise to consider whether I or you are moving closer to Jesus or further away from Jesus, today I really want to focus on not what we are doing, but on what Jesus is doing. Where is he headed? What is he doing? Like a family getting ready to move cross country, Jesus is reaching out to the people he came to save his people, to touch them one last time, to say one last farewell before the end of his time on earth. Jesus has been traveling through Israel, preaching and teaching and healing. He's just recently visited Samaria, the people who lived on the other side of the tracks, who, who still had some Jewish blood in them. He visited the cities of the, the, the Decapolis. Some of them were simply Greco-Roman cities filled with Gentiles. John places Jesus on the east side, the, the other side of the Jordan River, when this Palm Sunday journey begins. He has already, as Luke says, set his face toward Jerusalem. The time has arrived. Jesus is on the move. He stops in Bethany, the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, spends some time with his friends, Sensible thing to do, given what he must face in the days ahead. I think the company of his loved ones fortifies Jesus. Then he travels across the Mount of Olives towards the city. Luke says that as he approaches the city, he stops for a moment and begins to weep. He's thinking, if only, if only. If only the people of this city knew, well, if they knew what it takes to have peace but they can't accept the Prince of Peace for who he is. And they don't really want peace anyway. That will soon become apparent. Matthew records a large crowd gathers as Jesus enters the city. Who is this? Is this the prophet from Nazareth, they cry? 
It's a great commotion. Mark and others tell us the people are spreading cloaks and palm branches to honor Jesus as he processes into the city. Jesus ducks into the temple briefly and then heads back out to his friend's house for the night. This is what John says in chapter 12, starting in verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And then, in an interpretive note, John adds, His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written of him, and had been done to him. So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. All these glimpses remind us that Jesus is moving. And he's moving from way outside the promised land all the way to the center of things. In the days after this parade, he will, he will spend time with close friends. He will gather his disciples for a farewell meal. He will teach them, and through them us, about the meaning of his death, preparing them for what is to come. He will wash the disciples' feet and feed them the Passover meal. Each step in the process is a step closer. Closer to the cross, closer to death, closer to the end. Notice how the steps are becoming more intimate dinner with friends, but then Passover together near the end of the week. This is still more intimate. And washing the feet of his inner circle, very intimate, very vulnerable. Notice how Jesus is getting more and more vulnerable, intimacy and vulnerability increasing at the same time. The closer we get, the more we see and the more we know. It is hard for us not to equate vulnerability with weakness, but we know better. Jesus has the power to call this whole thing off, but he doesn't. Jesus is choosing this road. He wants to complete this journey. Being able to finish this journey is a feat of unimaginable strength. After dinner, there is a betrayal and then arrest. Jesus becomes more vulnerable. Betrayal is followed by abuse and torture. And Jesus permits unspeakable violence against his person. He becomes more vulnerable. And before you know it, they are nailing his hands and feet to a cross. Jesus has crawled all the way to a cross in order to meet you there. It is at the foot of the cross where Jesus finds every one of us. It is here that he sacrifices his life for ours, trades our sickness for his health, removes the guilt of our sinful behaviors and offers us new life. Every step, every incident, every indignity, every painful endurance, each was a step closer to you and me carried out for you and me. 
Jesus embraces complete humiliation so that no one would ever feel too low, too insignificant, too unimportant to meet Jesus at the foot of the cross. If you don't know already, when Jesus is marching to Jerusalem, when they are waving palm branches, when they are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, when Jesus is walking up Calvary's mountain, he is marching toward you. And I'm wondering, in which direction are you moving? Are you moving closer to Jesus? Or have you turned your back and are walking the other direction? For those that have turned their backs, for those who are unconcerned, Jesus pauses, just like he did outside Jerusalem that day, and says, if you had only known what makes for peace, and he weeps. But for those who are walking toward Jesus, he will meet you at the foot of the cross. Today, right now, just where you are, He's patiently waiting for you. He will meet you at the foot of the cross. Nearer, still nearer, close to your heart. Draw me, my Savior, so precious you Grant that we may take the first step towards you. We know by your word that like the father you are, you will run to meet us. You will embrace us, that you will receive us. By your mercy, Lord, may all of us find our way into your family, into the kingdom 
of Jesus Christ, that we may know the joy of living eternally with you. Pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. This morning, once again, we receive the body and blood of our Lord and Savior into ourselves, that we might be nourished by this spiritual meal and become the body of Christ for the world. It is right and good and a joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, gracious God, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. You revealed yourself through your people Israel, and in the fullness of time, you sent your son Jesus, who took on flesh and became one of us. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, gave his life for us according to your plan of salvation. You raised him from the dead, and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow. He is the King of the kingdom of God, our wonderful Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is our Alpha and Omega, our provider, our healer, our hope and our life. He is the bread of life, the great shepherd, our brother, and he is worthy of our praise. And so we rejoice with all your people of every time and every place and with angels and archangels to proclaim the glory of your name. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is he. Sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of kings, you are my everything, and I will adore you. Jesus is our King. He has invited us into his kingdom. He will come again to receive us into the place he is preparing for all of his children. These things we call to mind as we receive this spiritual food. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance for me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, until he comes. Let us pray. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Pour out your Spirit on us gathered here, 
and may this bread and this juice mm -hmm. and the bread and juice in every home united with us become the body and blood of Christ for us, that in the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this juice, we may know the presence of the living Christ and be renewed as the body of Christ for the world, redeemed by Christ's blood. May your spirit sanctify us that we might be one, united yes, in mission yes. and committed to loving God and neighbor with all that we are. Amen. body of Christ, the bread of heaven, for the seat of rejoicing, thankful for the gift of God for us. The blood of Christ, the cup of salvation, may it preserve you blameless to everlasting life. With thanks to God, let us drink together. In our lives, Lord, be glorified, be glorified. In our lives, Lord, be glorified today. In your church. Lord, be glorified, be glorified in your church, Lord, be glorified today. And now to him who is able to keep you from falling, who is able to present you before his Father's throne, blameless on that great day. To him be glory in the church and in all of our lives, now and forever. Amen. May the peace of Christ guard your hearts.